0: You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 6, this morning a message on one of the doctrines of our faith, one of the ordinances of our church, a message simply entitled, A Photo Finish, a message on the subject of baptism. Baptism is just that, it is a snapshot, it is a picture for all the world to see of what has already taken place in the hearts and the lives of a believer the entire sixth chapter of Romans is food for uh, the hungry Christian. It is wisdom for us. Verses that tell us where we stand when it comes to the, to the nature of sin and the fact that it no longer has dominion over us. But by way of introduction, I want to read two verses that help us to connect the spiritual nature and the, fear, and the physical nature of biblical baptism. Baptism. The Bible says here, Paul writing to the church at Rome. So remember, these are Christians that are getting the message. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We had the privilege this morning of baptizing five people at the lake. That's why we were just a few moments late trying to get dry and dressed in over this way. And uh, adults and children, and we're grateful for that. But there was a picture for all of those there to see. A picture of what Christ had already done in the hearts and lives of those people. So this morning what I want us to do is to try to bring into focus a clear picture of what baptism is. And you might be here today and say, well, you know, I'm a Christian but I've never been baptized. I don't see why I need to do that. Or, or maybe you say, well, I, I've been sprinkled or I've been this or I've been that. Well, my prayer is that the Word of God would just speak and give us wisdom as only the Word of God can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of standing in this place. Lord, behind this holy desk, I pray you would educate us from your Word. Encourage us. Lord, help us to see Christ and his fullness and how, Lord, you came to not just leave us in our sin or to identify that we were sinners, but you came to rescue us from our sin. And God, help this picture to come, Lord, so very clear in focus to each of us today. Thank you for the spiritual principles of baptism and for this great picture in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so why are we Baptist? Why do we, why do we concentrate so much on the subject Of baptism, let me just go ahead and say. Typically, we err on one side or the other. Either we overemphasize the importance of baptism, or we underemphasize the importance of baptism. Either we say, "Oh my goodness, if you've never been baptized, you know, in in a a body of flowing water, then you're probably not going to make it into heaven," or you say, "Well, you know, all that matters is if you've got Jesus. Baptism really isn't all that important." But the fact of the matter is that neither extremes are right. We need to look at what the Bible says. About baptism. The Greek word is baptizo. Baptizo, and it literally means to immerse or to dip under. It would have been used in everyday language in a Greek family uh, talking about washing dishes. Now, I don't know about you, but when we wash dishes at our house, and we don't have a dishwasher, well, actually, we do, and you're looking at him, but um, we don't just sprinkle a little water on the dishes. We don't just kind of toss a little bit over top of them, but we put them under the water. We make sure they're thoroughly uh, dunked. They're thoroughly immersed. And in the Greek culture, when they would use the word baptizo, it was very clear it was to put under or to dip or to immerse. And when we think about baptism, and probably every person in here, if you've been baptized or not, you have certainly witnessed a baptism. The person comes into the body of water, whether it's in our baptistry, whether it's over at the lake or it's in the river or the meal pond or wherever it might be. And as that person comes into the water, it represents how they were born, dead in trespasses and sins. We have the picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a very, very clear picture. What did Christ say upon the cross? He said, it is finished. And the picture of baptism is the picture of the finished work of of that cross. I want you to think about baptism. There's the spiritual part of it and there's the physical part of it, and both are certainly very important. The first is the spiritual part of baptism, and that is that in Christ we have been baptized by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. Of God, He literally has come and he inundated us with His presence. He has come and made His home within us. He had, We have not only had an encounter with Him that is casual, but we have an encounter with Him that is very, very personal. Now, when does this happen? Beloved, it happens immediately at the time of salvation. We do not believe that there is a separate work of grace. There are those that believe a person gets saved, and when they've reached some level of spiritual maturity, then the Holy Ghost... comes and lives within them. Well, here's the problem with that. You and I would have no hope of living one moment for Christ without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We would be faking it. We would be going through the motions. We would be uh, putting on an act or a show. It is only through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God that we can live for Christ. So understand, the moment you are saved, you are indwelt by His presence. When I was an eight-year-old little boy, I asked Jesus to come into my heart to save me, to wash my sins away. And in that moment, I believe with all of my heart the Holy Spirit came and began dwelling in my life. You said, well how do you know that preacher? Up until that point I had a desire in my heart to please my mama and to please my daddy and to please my teachers and to please my coaches. But in that encounter I realized that I had truly been born again in in that from that moment on I knew that I had a responsibility to honor God. To please Him. That I answered to yet one more. And he was my King of Kings. He was my Lord of Lords. I had a personal relationship with him. I had been baptized by the Holy Ghost. We see at the day of Pentecost that the Holy Ghost invaded that place and they began seeing miracles upon miracles happen. So there's the Holy Ghost baptism. That is the spiritual baptism. And by the way, I believe the thief on the cross, while he had no opportunity to come down and get dunked, he was baptized up. The Holy Ghost, and only because of that did Christ say, You will be with me today in paradise. So, preacher, then why do we need to be baptized? Well, that's a good question. Water baptism is also immediate after salvation. It's important, by the way, that we get baptism on the right side of salvation. You might be here today and you might say, well, preacher, I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, I would beg to differ. There is no baptism in the Bible of babies. There's no uh, experience that would say your parents can have you baptized and it would count for a thing. It's important to understand that all throughout the New Testament that people were saved and immediately were baptized. They weren't baptized with the hope that one day they might get saved. Nobody can make that decision for you. I do am very, very concerned that there are people today that are counting on their infant baptism to get them to heaven. Friend, you'll never find that anywhere in the precious Word of God. Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And the only way we come to Him is through grace uh, with our faith in Him. It is not through some ceremony. It is not through some ritual that was performed upon you before you could even remember. So that's important we understand. But water baptism is very, very significant. Let me give you a couple of things to consider by way of introduction why water baptism? Number one, it is a matter of obedience. Listen, I didn't make up the rules, but I am responsible for following the rules. Jesus set that example and taught us that we're to be baptized, to so we're to follow Him. In fact, it is the very first act of obedience. Think about that. If we're not willing to obey Him in this simple act of obedience in baptism, then most likely we're not going to be willing to obey Him in any other thing He requires of us. It's getting off on the wrong foot, you might say. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, I'm not really much on getting up in front of crowds and I'm afraid of water. Well, we find that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out in agony. Why? Because he was afraid of the pain of that cross. He was not welcoming that public humiliation and shame, the torture that he would endure, and it happened in a public view. For someone to say, yes, I will accept the gift of the cross, but no, I'm not willing to, to, to publicly and to physically be identified with that cross. Friend, can I tell you, uh, being uh, if you think it's humiliating to get yourself a little wet in front of your friends, can you imagine hanging on a cross, uh, nearly nude, being beaten and tortured, and, and suffering such shame and reproach, how little he requires of us in baptism. It is a matter of obedience. Number two, it is a matter of of allegiance. Romans 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When we follow Christ in baptism, we're saying, I'm not ashamed. I want the whole world to know, not out of pride or arrogance, but saying, I want to be identified with Christ. There is no greater way that we are identified. Can you imagine if Tiffany uh, came to me and, you know, we we got married and she said, Honey, I want you to wear this ring. And I want you to keep this ring on your finger every day of your life till death. Death do us part. And I said, well, now, baby, I'm going to tell you now. uh, You know, you know what we got. We got us a good thing. You know that. And it really don't matter what anybody else knows. Now, I'm not going to wear that ring. I I don't don't necessarily need everybody to know my business. I don't really need to put it out there for the whole world to see. Because you know what we've got. What would you think of me? Scoundrel, probably the word you'd come up with. What do you mean you don't want the whole world to know? You're ashamed of her? You don't want anybody to know what's going on? There are many people that say, God, you know that we, you know what we've got going on. God, you know that we've got a good thing. God, you know that I've invited you into my heart. But God, I don't need to tell the whole world. God, I don't need to show the whole world. Listen, the very first act of evangelism that you and I can perform is the act of Baptism. And if we're not willing to perform that simple act of evangelism, likely as not, we're not going to perform many others. How important is water baptism? Let me get you this. Think think about this. In all of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the times that He fed thousands, the times that He opened blinded eyes, the times that He caused the lame to walk, the times that He caused the leper's spots to fade, the times that He raised the dead, and all of those times and God the Father remained silent. But when Jesus Christ stepped into the waters of baptism and his cousin John who had had just pronounced him the the, uh, uh, the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. The Bible says that John put him under the water and when he brought him back forth the heavens opened the Spirit of God lit upon him like a dove and God the Father spoke and said this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now friend, that right there ought to tell us that there is something significant, something special, something sacred about water baptism. That was the moment that God the Father identified who this man was. That he was the Messiah. That he was the Emmanuel. That he was the virgin born son of the living God. This is my beloved son. I still believe when a person is baptized today. The saints of God are rejoicing. The angels in heaven around his throne are celebrating. And God the Father is identifying. That's one of mine right there. Let me give you three things to consider this morning in our time together about baptism. Number one. This picture of baptism is a clear picture of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ suffered, he bled, and he died. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we, listen, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, where is he? He is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." You and I were born dead in sin. Through Christ, we are dead to sin. What a transformation. I want to share two things with you about the death of Christ and what it has done. It literally has taken our sins and annihilated them. Our sins have been quickened, or we've been quickened. We've been brought forth out of our sin. Think about this. Number one, the Christian liberty. We have absolute freedom. We are no longer under sin's tyranny. We are no longer under sin's bondage. We are no longer shackled and enslaved by the power of sin. We have been set free. The Bible says those to whom that Christ has set free, we are free indeed. I want you to imagine where would we be without the cross? Where would we be without the death of Christ? We would be helpless and hopeless. We would be dead in our sin one breath away from eternity in a place called hell. Christians, we have liberty. No longer does sin have a pursuit over us. No longer does, that, does it have a penalty over us. We are free. We have been freed from our sin. But number two, understand liberty does not equal license. When I was a little boy, I learned this particular passage in Romans 6, and, and it has stuck with me. And the two words that, that jump out in the King James are the words, God forbid. When it comes to the subject of sin, we need to understand that, that that this idea of a license to sin is very dangerous. Well, I've been freed from my sin well being freed from our sin does not make us free. To sin, It does not give us a license. You know, imagine uh, you, you walk into a restaurant and somebody says, Oh, you know, dinner's on me. And you go, Okay, I want everything on the menu. I want every appetizer. I want every main course. I want every dessert. I want every kind of drink that you have. I want it all. Would that be respectful of the one that's picking up the tab? How many have ever done that? All right. Here's the idea. Listen, friend, Christ says, I have taken your sin. And our goal should not be, well, how much sin can I heap upon him? But how can I live every day enjoying the freedom from my sin, but being very careful not to use it as a license to sin? As a little boy, those two words would, would come jumping out in my heart when I would be met with temptation. God forbid. God forbid that I would continue in sin. God forbid that I would make those choices that I knew were contrary to His word and contrary to His will. A picture of Christ's death. We have been freed from our sin Because He took our sin to the grave. Number two, when we think about baptism, we also see that it's a clear picture of His burial. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of His death. What does it look like when a person is baptized? Ultimately, you see them being buried. The first time I ever baptized anyone, his name was Eddie Gesford. you remember him? He was the high school football player, the quarterback of the team. He was so cool. True story, he got saved on a Thursday night at a youth meeting. And I was so excited. Uh, he, He got up off his knees where he had just prayed to receive Christ. And we all hugged. I jumped up from the youth room. I ran next door to the parsonage, bust in the back door of the parsonage. And there was my pastor, Dr. Mark Walton, in his BVDs. And I grabbed the hold of him and I hugged him and he said well I love you too what's going on and I said Eddie just got saved Mark looked at me and he said well then you need to baptize Eddie I'd never baptized anybody before and I was kind of concerned and worried about it nervous about it you know asked Tiffany could I practice on her she wouldn't let me but anyhow so a couple of Sundays passed and it was time for Eddie to be baptized and it was in a baptistry much like ours. And, and I took Eddie and I, I dunked him and picked him back up and Eddie had a lot of hair unlike me. And about half this hair was soaking wet but the front half was just dry as a bone. And I realized that I had completely botched my first attempt at baptism. So I thought very quickly, which I'm good at, and I took him again. And this time, I mean, I dunked him halfway to China and back. I got him, made sure he got under there, and then I picked him back up and everybody celebrated. Listen, baptism is a literal picture of being buried with Christ. It's so important that we understand biblical baptism, that it's it's not a matter of sprinkling. It's not a matter of going through some kind of a a class or an an ordinance of the church as much as it is identifying with what it is to be buried. Now, Now, what does it mean when we're buried? What does it mean when our sins have been buried? I love the term that our sins have been cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. Is there anything that God cannot do? That's a trick question, yes. There is something God cannot do. God cannot dip His hand into the sea of His forgetfulness and bring anything back to the surface. Isn't that awesome? Again, that's not license to sin. But it means those things that haunt you that are in your past. God says, I have no recollection of that. It means those sins that you've been forgiven of and you've repented of and someone would come in the community and say, well, I remember when he was like that or I remember when she did that and God would say, well, you might remember it, but I do not remember it. I simply do not have the ability to recall it. That is amazing. When we think about the burial of Christ, number one, we have a cleansed record. The word justified, literally it's justified, never, ever, ever committed a sin. How many of you like to watch Forensic Files? I just think it's so cool, you know. And I was watching one of those episodes because 30 minutes, that's about my attention span at the most. And you get a whole story from start to finish, you know. And um, so there was this story on forensic files. And I'm sure it's not the first time this has ever happened. But this particular gentleman had been charged with, um, well, he had been charged with doing away with his wife. And uh, they they were trying to collect evidence and they they didn't have a murder weapon and they didn't have exactly, you know, a, a time frame and they didn't know what had happened. So they seized his computer and they looked at the hard drive on his computer and they found that he had been Googling subjects like this. How to murder someone and get away with it. Poisons that cannot be detected in an autopsy. And they brought that evidence into court and this guy was guilty, guilty, guilty. When they gave that evidence, he just hung his head in shame because he knew he had been busted. May I say to you, there is not a forensic pathologist alive today that could dig and dig and dig and dig up one shred of evidence of one sin that you and I have committed that has been placed under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an amazing thought. Now, don't let that make you haughty or arrogant or think that you're better than somebody else. The fact of the matter is, I don't think I'll ever get my mind around how God can take my sin and completely eradicate it from the pages of history. But that is the power of the cross. That is the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a cleansed record. And I'm thankful for that, beloved. I'm thankful to know that there's not something that's going to be dug up one day. I'm thankful to know that there's not something that's going to be brought to the surface one day. I'm not going to have to stand before God and give an account because I could not give an account. But my sins are under the blood. Number two, not only do we have a cleansed record... We have a changed nature because of the burial of Christ. We have a changed nature. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old man, he's been put away. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's gone. But yet, behold, all things have become new. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Literally, my sins have been buried, and my old man has been buried. I love the cathedrals. Man, I used to love to listen to George Jones and Glenn Payne as they would sing an old song, Thanks to Calvary. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man that I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, I don't go to the places that I used to go. I don't say the things I used to say. I don't think the things I used to think. Listen, we have a changed nature if we are truly in Christ. Now, let me just say that not everyone that professes to be a Christian is... So, so how do we know that? Well, preacher, we're not to judge. We're not to judge a person, but we're to judge a fruit. And the way we judge that fruit is by the nature that a person displays. Let me say to you, being a member of a church does not give you a changed nature. Did you know that? Being baptized under the water does not give you a changed nature. Coming to church and singing the songs and studying the Bible and and serving and preaching a message, it does not give you a changed nature. The only thing that does is a personal encounter with the power of a holy God who takes that old man and crucifies him. Listen, it's a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. I ask Jeannie and David every once in a while about David's sister-in-law. Her name is Ingela. And a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I guess time gets away from me. She had a heart transplant. I'll never forget going to the hospital and visiting her and just being just overwhelmed with what that must be like when you wake up from that surgery and you've got a new heart. You've got a heart that's beating, but it's a heart that once beat in the body of someone else. It's a heart that is sustaining your life, but it once sustained sustain the life of someone else. And the first thing I, I was reminded of was the fact that that cost someone their life. Ingela could not get her new heart unless somebody else died. Listen, you and I could not get this new heart except for Christ died. And Ingela couldn't keep her old heart. They couldn't say, we're going to tuck this new one over and let you have two. You can only have one heart. And the fact of the matter is that Christ will not share us with our old heart or our old man. That man's been buried. He's been cast away. How important it is that we understand this changed nature that comes through the burial of our sins. I don't want to hang on to that old man. I don't want to hang on to that old nature a spiritual nature, I want. Ezekiel said that he will take our stony, cold heart and give us his heart of flesh, of compassion. There's two people sitting in a room, both claim to be a Christian. One though truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit and one that's never been truly saved. And they try to have a conversation about spiritual things and they continue to butt heads. The problem is not their heads that are budding, it is their hearts that are, that, that are not bleeding the same blood. How important to understand the importance of the changed nature. If you're here today and you may say, Well, preacher, I'm pretty sure I'm saved and I've been baptized and I've joined the church and I've done all these things, but I don't want to be one of those that Matthew 7 says, Many will say to me in that day, Look at all that I've done for you, but I never knew you. Preacher, I want to make sure that I'm saved. The prayer that I would recommend to you today would be this Lord, I'm not sure. But I want your nature. I want your mind, Philippians 2. I want your heart, Ezekiel 36. I want you. I don't just want your stuff. I don't just want your attributes. I don't just want the appearance of godliness that many will have in that day. But I want to know that when I think, I think with a spiritually discerning mind... When I listen, I listen with spiritually discerning ears. When I see, I see with spiritually discerning eyes. When I love, I love with the arms and the heart of Christ. That's a picture of Christ's burial. Number three, and I'm done. Baptism is a picture of the burial and the death of Christ, but it's also a picture of the resurrection of Christ. The Bible says in John 10 that we have been raised to have an abundant life. Do you know that God wants to bless you? God wants you to have a good life. And I don't just mean financial prosperity and relational prosperity, but He wants us to truly experience the joy of being a believer. If I were to ask you today if you're a Christian, you were to say, yes, I'm saved. I might ask you then, why did you get saved? And many people would say, well, I got saved because I don't want to go to hell when I die. You know, that would be like 23 years ago this week. That's hard to imagine. Or next week, the 15th, next Sunday. I'm taking her to Hawaii for our anniversary on a mission trip, but I'm still taking her to Hawaii. Can you imagine we're standing there at that altar at Trinity Baptist Church, July 15th, 1995. And the, the preacher said to me, Cameron, do you take Tiffany to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I said, I do. Why? Well, I really don't want to grow old alone. Well, I really don't want to have to cook for myself. I'm a slob. I don't want to have to clean my house. I really, you know, I want to have somebody to go out and eat with. I want somebody to rub my back when I'm tense, put lotion on my feet when they get dry. That's why I want to get married, preacher. He'd probably say, hold up just a minute. I think we need to go back in that back room and have a little more counseling, right? How many times do we say, God, I want to be yours because I want your stuff. God, I want the benefits of eternal life. God, I want the blessings of a relationship that will come from you. But God, beyond that, I I don't want to make a commitment. God, I, I don't want to invest myself. God, I just want to receive. I don't want to give. The picture of Christ's resurrection is that we are raised to walk in a new life. Not just a little bit of a changed life. Not just turning over a new leaf. You ever looked at leaves? They ugly on one side as they are on the only other. I mean, think about it. There's no difference. It's not just trying to kind of get my life in order to get my act together. But it's a new life. So what does that look like? Three things i am done. Number one, it's a new devotion. What are people devoted to by birth? They're devoted to themselves. I promise you, if you go back to our nursery, you take two little children, you sit them side by side, and you put one bowl of Fruit Loops in between them. You will not have to teach them to fuss, fight, and feud over those Fruit Loops. There'll be Fruit Loops flying in every direction because they'll be cr- reaching in and saying what? Mine, mine, mine. People are born knowing how to love themselves. People are even born knowing how to love and not in the best sense of the term. Love those that can do for them. Love those that can can somehow better them. It's a greedy kind of love, but in Christ there's a new devotion. We love the Lord and then all things around it stems down from that. Yes, we love other people in Jesus' name. Yes, we, 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 we learn to have a, a confidence in ourselves in Jesus' name. We have a love for His church. We have a love for the mission. We have a love for the fellowship of the body of Christ. There's a new devotion. I mentioned somewhere in the last few weeks the movie Sergeant York. I highly recommend it. It take, It's a two-hour movie, so it takes me four sentences to watch it. But Sergeant York... Gary Cooper has an experience and an encounter with God. He went from the meanest dude in the community to the nicest dude in the community. But it took a while for people to understand that. But everywhere he went, people would kind of back away from him because they were expecting him to grab a hold of him and hit him because that was his old nature. And he realized that those arms that were once clutched in a fist were now open to embrace. And that entire community was impacted by the gospel because of the change in this one guy that was the meanest old scoundrel in the community. You see, when we get saved, there's a new devotion. There's a new heart I mentioned, and it's a heart that beats with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever we talk about somebody getting saved, we say, won't you invite Jesus to come into your heart? And when He does, we love like Christ loves. It's not always easy May I say, sometimes I'm easy to love and sometimes I'm hard to love. And every person in this room would fall into that category. A new devotion. Number two, a new direction. Here's my fear. We've come to a point in the religious walk that we have this idea that, I, that salvation is taking my life and sprinkling a little religious dust on top of it. Like putting icing on a cake. But a spiritual experience is not just adding something to my life, but it is radically changing the direction of my life. The word repent means an 180 degree turn. It means I'm going yonder way and next I'm going yonder way. It doesn't mean as I continue to go this way, I just talk a little nicer and act a little nicer. No, it means I'm going in a totally different direction. I am walking in step with God's Word. I'm seeking and following God's will every day. That's the heart of the Christian. That's to be the heart of the church. A new direction. And thirdly, a new destination. A new destination. John 14, you're familiar with that. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare that place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We understand that we already have a home that is being prepared. Whose builder and maker is God. Some translations call it a, a mansion. Some call it a dwelling place. It's probably the one place that I prefer another translation over the King James. Because I don't want a mansion down the street from the master. I want a room in the master's house. Biblically you go back to that original and when a a Jewish father would allow his son uh, to bring a bride home and when the bride's family would allow her to go to the groom's home there would be another extension built on, another room built on to the father's house and that's the picture of what Christ is doing for us today. My destination is not Bladen County. I'm just passing through here. The end of my journey is, is a place called heaven. And I'm good with that. Tomorrow morning about 2 o'clock we'll drive up to RDU and at 6.10, Tiffany and I and Leah will get on an airplane and we'll fly to LAX and from LAX to Honolulu and hopefully by tomorrow sometime we'll be there. And somebody said, well, aren't you afraid of flying? I said, not a bit. Afraid to death of crashing, but not flying. It scared me a bit. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not afraid of crashing. Because I think at the end of the day tomorrow, I'm going to be in Honolulu, Hawaii. But I might not. If that plane crashes, I'm going to be a whole lot more in paradise than Honolulu ever thought about being. You see, I have a new destination. I realize that this world is not my home. When I'm raised to walk in a new life, everything now doesn't revolve around what I can see or what I can touch and what I can feel and what I can get because at best it is temporary. We get awfully connected to this old world, but the fact is it all comes to a turning point here in verse 23. We know that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you know that there are only two options for your destination? Do you know that? I don't enjoy flying, but I am fascinated by it. I love to look up at the sky and see all the planes and all the jet streams behind them. And I wonder where are all these planes going? Cincinnati or Chicago or Miami or Fort Lauderdale, Dallas or LAX, I don't know. But when it comes to eternity, there are only two destinations, heaven and hell. And friend, there's only one way to heaven. And His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll leave you with these words. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. But one day, He's coming. Oh, glorious day. And what a resurrection day that will be when the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. I wouldn't embarrass him for anything in the world. My buddy Steve, Miss Connie, was at the hospital the other week with them. And Steve's laying there, possibly in kidney failure. Went in to see him, and he was his typical normal self. Nurse walked in and he said, I don't think he's saved. I want you to pray for him. The fact of the matter was, Steve is secure. He's okay. His concern was for the nurse and for the other nurse that came in a little bit later about their eternal salvation. You see, when you've got your destination secure, it is amazing how it transitions into every other part of your life, what's truly important. It's not the here and now, but it's where we're going to be when we draw our final breath. Baptism. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of our eternity is depending upon what we do with those simple truths. Father, thank you, Lord, for the doctrine of salvation. And for how it is played out so clearly in this picture of the ordinance of baptism. God, I pray for people.